Hey everybody, welcome to the Extra Report. I am Raven X and alongside me as always is Biggie, aka Ethan Tate, aka somebody who I am sure is just excited as I am to see the Memphis Tigers football team step on the field again. How you doing today, Ethan? It's kind of surprising who you say that, mainly just because of all the recruits that, you know, Penny has been able to secure these last few weeks. But, I mean, I'm a bigger football fan, and most of my time when I was in Memphis, like, I worked with the football team, and I'm excited for them. I'm excited to see how it all shakes out. So, um, yeah, so it's going to be a real good show for you guys today. Um, of course, we're going to kick things off talking the NFL. Uh, we're going to play another game of Did They Play Themselves?, um, as well as break down the AFC and NFC South, which of course will be very interesting as Ethan's favorite team resides in the South. Uh, we're also going to talk some NBA news. We are going to talk the latest with Damian Lillard um, and what the future of the league looks like now that it seems that he's going to be staying in Portland for a while. And they close out the show with my recap of SummerSlam weekend, or at least half of it, because one half I don't even want to talk about. But without further ado, let's go ahead and get the show kicked off. So starting off this week's game of Did They Play Themselves, we have um, Mr. Everson Griffin on the docket. And with Mr. Griffin, he has re-signed with the Minnesota Vikings, a team that he spent several years with. As we all know, last year he split time with the Lions and the Cowboys. And now he's back on a one-year deal with Minnesota. That seems all hunky-dory. He's been one of their best players in the last few years. Except, I don't know if you remember this, because I didn't. But apparently back in January, he made some tweets about Kirk Cousins on Twitter and said, at Vikings, Kirk Cousins is ass. Thank you. Ask Zimmer if he wanted Kirk. And so since... That happened. He's re-signed. He said that he is going to apologize to Kirk Cousins for some of those tweets. So, did he play himself by doing this, or should he? Is it even worth apologizing about? Because I, I genuinely didn't even know this happened. It's definitely worth apologizing simply because it's one of those situations. There's something that's come to light, so I think you have to basically go into the locker room and say you. Do I necessarily think he played himself slightly because he's back with their organization? It's different if he would have sent those tweets out and he never stepped foot back in Minnesota again except for like to play against them. But now you're back in their locker room, you're back with the same man that you said these things about. So he kind of did. And being honest, I didn't mean to start laughing like me, me reading it, but it's just so hilarious. It is funny because it, it's just something you don't necessarily expect. Like, of course, fans are going to feel some type of way about Kirk Cousins, but it's just funny to see a former teammate just legit call this man ass. It's kind of funny. But, yeah, I think that I don't think he necessarily – clearly he didn't play himself enough to the for the team not to bring him back. I think – so, truthfully, I don't think it's like a major deal-breaker – um, cause like I said, nobody really knew that this even took place until like it, he brought it to light that he was going to apologize for him. So I don't really think it's that deep. Um, if I'm Kirk Cousins, I just suck it up and get over it because you got to focus on keeping your job and not having a uh, Kellen Mond 
breathing down your neck. So, yeah, I don't think he played himself too tough. All right, moving on to a quarterback who potentially played himself, Cam Newton, who is after this week with a miscommunication with the COVID-19 test, honestly, the details are a bit murky. He's been away from the team for the past five days, which is giving ample time for Mac Jones to start. In fact, it's been a frustrating situation for the organization and could produce a window for Mac Jones, who reportedly this week had a very good week of practice. So did Cam Newton play himself out of a starting quarterback job this week? Um, I think he, I'm not going to fully say he did because it's correct. The protocol that you have to sit out is 10 games, plus you got to have two positive negative tests. So you can still potentially play come week one, but we also know the type of guy that Bill Belichick is. Like, he's the type of guy that be like, okay, well, you shown me that you aren't trustworthy because this is the second incident Yeah, I, I think he played himself mainly just because I think the situation with New England was while, you know, Cam has not been playing terribly, I do I still believe that New England's offense is tailored made for a quarterback like Mac Jones. And so if you're giving a player like Mac Jones all those extended reps, more opportunities for the coaches to look at him and only him with the number one offense and against number one defenses, it's only going to hurt you, especially if he's been playing well. So I think that this could really be the nail in Cam's coffin, and I think he played himself pretty bad. Now this last one, I, I think it's clear that this man clearly played himself. But just for fun, we still going to talk about it. And that's John Gruden, who reportedly back in March called the Bears about trading for Khalil Mack. If you guys don't remember, when he originally got to the Raiders, Khalil Mack was on his roster, but he traded him. And one of the players that he traded him um, and got after uh, trading him was Cleveland Farrell former fourth overall pick back in 2019, who apparently is still running with the second unit. He's not even going to be a starter. Gus Bradley, the Raiders defensive coordinator, said Cleveland Farrell is in the second tier rush group, and he's said to come in and keep the group fresh. That's cute, but let's be honest, it's also BS. So I know the answer, but did John Gruden play himself? <laughs> by trading Khalil Mack in the first place. Yes, big time, because the biggest issue that the Raiders have had these past couple years has been defense. More namely, slow pass rush. Like, Max Crosby, he's had one good year. Um, I can't really think of any other pass rush that they have on their team. I know I might be missing somebody that actually did have a decent season for them, but I just can't remember who. Honestly, but, you're not really missing much, honestly. But in reality, like, Khalil Mack, from the moment he was drafted, was that game-changing player. Like, he's, he's a generational talent. Like, he's one of the top three best defensive players throughout the course of his career since he's been in the league. So I definitely say John Green played himself. Yeah, and this is a hard player. So, because this one – it's like in the case of you lose a player, like a very transcendent talent, 
and like a guy like Khalil Mack. And like you mentioned, like Max probably had a really good rookie year. He had 10 sacks and really hasn't done much since then. And but since you lose Khalil Mack, like every year you were trying to find somebody to replace him. You would think Cleveland Farrell would be the cat to do it. You spent a very high draft pick on him. He hasn't done it. Max Crosby hasn't shown that he can do it. I love me some Yannick Ngakwe. And while I do think that he's an underrated edge rusher, it's not fair to even try to compare him to Khalil Mack. So year in and year out, you are seeing that you have failed in every regard. So, yeah, John, you have played the hell out of yourself. All right, let's go ahead and move on to some league transactions. First of which being wide receiver Robbie Anderson for the Carolina Panthers got paid. Signed a two-year, $29.5 million extension. So he is going to be staying in Carolina for the foreseeable future. But a move that made even more noise. Um, Earlier today, it was announced that the Jacksonville Jaguars have traded Gardner Minshew to the Jaguars for a conditional 2022 sixth round pick while the eagles say that this is purely a death pick do you think that it's going to be Minshew mania up in philly at some point of the season uh i definitely can see i'm not going to guarantee simply because i think Jalen hurts is a guy that he's such an anomaly that it's like he could actually really i feel like he's kind of like a glass half full type of guy where I think if it works out, I think he could be, he can really work out, but if he doesn't, he might, he's going to get bounced around a couple teams in the next couple of years. But I definitely can see going to Mitchell stepping in and taking over as the, I guess, bridge quarterback. If the Eagles, I can see the Eagles also tanking and trying to get a quarterback coming in his draft. I can see that as well. Like the you mentioned, like Jalen Hurts being an anomaly, and it's like you we don't really know what Jalen Hurts is going to be yet, and so because of that, it's just like how do you really? guess what his future is going to hold? Not just him, but also Gardner Minshew. I think that. I do think that we are going to see some Gardner Minshew at some point of the season, um, mainly just because just to see something different. I think that the Eagles, especially if they're going through a part of the season where they are kind of struggling a bit, I could definitely see them being like, you know what, let's see what we got in Martin Gardner Minshew and going from there. Just because Joe Flacco really isn't being taken seriously as a candidate to be their starting quarterback. I know that from experience of having Joe Flacco, no. Jalen Hurts, you don't really know what you're going to get. And then Gardner Minshew has shown flashes, but clearly when your team drafts a quarterback first overall, it's highly doubted that Gardner Minshew is going to be your starter. So it's very up in the air in Philly, but I could still see him playing some. And who knows, maybe he'll make some good plays in Philly, but I don't know. It's, it's tough to really gauge with that offense. But all right, we met, I just mentioned Trevor Lawrence officially being named as the starting quarterback for the Jags as if anybody was surprised by that. But a couple other starting quarterback announcements were made as well. So first of which being Teddy Bridgewater getting the go-ahead by the Denver Broncos and Jameis Winston after a really good Monday night performance in the first quarter against the Jags officially was named the Saints starting quarterback. So, Ethan, between the two, who has the better year, Teddy or Jameis? 
Yeah, I'm also on the Jameis bandwagon um, with comparison to Teddy. Like you mentioned, like he has more experience in that offense. I think that's something that he hasn't had in some time is a team actually has faith in him. A team had, believes in him and thinks that he can really do it. And I think that because of that, like, confidence matters. And if you, not only if you have confidence in yourself, but the people around you have confidence in you, that is going to help build you up and make things a lot easier. And for someone like Jameis Winston, who we've seen, we saw the 30 for 30 season. We saw him lead the league in passing. We've seen him be a knucklehead, but overall, you can tell he's a different player when he has that New Orleans Saints jersey on. And so I think that that's really going to lead the way in a lot of different areas for him to, even if he things don't fully work out in New Orleans with regards to maybe he has a good year, but they want to go in a younger direction. I think that this could possibly be the year where he really opens the NFL eyes to show that he can be a starting quarterback cap player. And right now for Teddy Bridgewater, I think that this is his last chance. I think that if he can't really do the job in Denver, I could see him being relegated to a backup or possibly his career being over entirely. But we shall see. I'm excited to see what these two guys do, especially given another opportunity. Unfortunately, training camp and preseason provides a lot of great opportunities for young players, but it also leads to quite a few injuries. Here are a few, starting with Ravens linebacker LJ Fort suffering a torn ACL. He will be missing the rest of the season um, because of that, and that sucks. Uh, Jags lose rookie first-round pick running back Travis Etienne after suffering a Liz Frank sprain that will likely end his season. Best case, he will be out for 12 weeks. Packers lose wide receiver Devin Funches for the rest of the year, but honestly, he opted out last year due to COVID, and it's not like Aaron really played with him anyway. And plus, he's Devin Funches, so do with that information what you will. Um, Jets' defensive line continues to get thin. Defensive end Vinnie Curry is expected to miss the entire season due to the effects of a rare blood disorder. So prayers up to him. And finally, Daryl Henderson, even though this injury isn't too serious, suffered a thumb injury, which has made it difficult for him to practice. Shortly after this news was announced, the Rams made a trade to get Sony Michelle uh, for a 2022 fifth round pick and a 2022 sixth round pick. Ethan, looking at the Rams running back group, between the two of Daryl Henderson and Sony Michelle, do you think Sony is bound to be RB one, or is it still Daryl Henderson's show? I think Sony is because he's proven that he can be a starting caliber running back in the NFL. Like a lot of people said, realize that for a brief period of time when he was with New England, he was a really good running back, and I think that he still has those capabilities. Um. I love Derrick Henderson. He's a Memphis alone. He's a former Tiger. I think he does provide some great skills as far as like speed and like quick hit capability. But I think that even if he wasn't hurt, I could have, I have a feeling that the Rams were already looking at like putting him in a running back by committee type of situation. Just simply because he's not he's a speedster. He isn't that guy that you really want to have running between the tackles. Yeah, I can see that. I think that with Sony Michelle there, I do think it's definitely going to be more so of a committee. But I could see Sony getting 
a few more touches, mainly just because he kind of has that power element to him. And Daryl Henderson doesn't necessarily have that. He's one of those guys who you don't want to see in open space because once he gets there, it's it's you can call curtains. It's over. But Sonny Michelle is one of those guys who can push between the tackles and force those short yardage situations, which I think is something that the Rams really did not have. Um, like I said, I mean, it's going to be tough not having Cam Akers there, but I do think that this is going to be a year where it's a committee. And so, but I do think that Sony Michelle is going to get more carries. But I do think um, that Daryl Henderson is going to end up winning with more touchdowns. But all right, let's go ahead and head on south to the AFC and NFC. So we can go ahead and do this breakdown, starting off with the AFC, of course, with the most underrated team. Ethan, who you got? Um, the most underrated team in the AFC South. This is difficult, but I'm actually going to say the Jacksonville Jaguars. Simply because the reason I say this is the teams in front of them, I feel like they are properly rated, in my opinion. And the Houston Texans are one of the worst teams in the, in the NFL. And I think that the Jags, even though I, I honestly and truly don't agree with anything that Urban Meyer has been doing, this offseason and on training camp, I think that they have some talent in place to, I'm not going to say like they're going to make the playoffs, but I can see them pushing team, a couple teams to the break, especially if they're able to get Trevor Lawrence fully adapted and adjusted to the offense and the um, pieces of random kind of plays to a decent level. Yeah, I also have the Jags as the most underrated team. Like, like I mentioned, I think I said somebody like last week, like, even if I have you on the raids, I don't mean I think your magic is going to have a transcendent year. I just think that the Jags' overall roster is much better than people give them credit for. DJ Chark, when healthy, is a really good receiver. Marvin Jones um, is very reliable. LaVisca Chenault. We talked a lot about the CeeDee Lambs and the Justin Jeffersons, of course, and the Brandon Ayukes, but LaVisca had a really good rookie year as well. Some injuries kind of took away some playing time, but when he was on the field, he proved to be that swift army knife that he was drafted to be. Not to mention defensively, Miles Jack is a great player. Um, I really like Andre Sisco, who they drafted this year. So, And they made moves in their secondary as well. So overall, they have a solid roster that has pieces that you can really build on. And do I trust Urban Meyer? No, not necessarily. But I do think that this team overall is much better than their record would indicate. But in terms of overrated team, this was tough because you mentioned like everybody's pretty properly rated. The only reason why I'm going to go with the Titans is just I'm still not really sold on their defense. Like, Bud Dupree is coming off at ACL, which we know kind of takes time to work back. And then aside from really Jeffrey Simmons, your pass rush is kind of really struggling right now. And so while you've made moves to kind of make it better, who's to say that those moves are going to work? Not to mention the losses in the secondary. So that's really the only reason why I have the Titans as overrated, but I still think collectively they're the best team in the division. So, I'm, I think I'm about to shock everybody. I'm asking the girls to be, I will say, the Titans. Even though I I think like, they read, like they have some big questions on the defensive side of the football. Yes, they, they added Bud Dupree, but Bud Dupree has never been the guy that's been like dominant pass rusher that you put in on um, – 
like Jack. I like Jack Robert Jenkins, but it's like I don't see. I don't like him as my quarterback one. Cornerback one. I would prefer him as a CB two or CB three. But I do like the pieces that they have in place. I also like the fact that this year they actually have a defensive coordinator. But as far as this statement, I would have to go to play. All right, so moving on, who is your favorite player in the AFC West? I mean, AFC South. I already know who you're going to say, but, you know. I'm going to – Derrick Henry or Jeffrey Simmons? scared to say my favorite per- player just because everything that's going on but purely as a player as a football player what he does on the football field I love me some Deshaun Watson I'm gonna leave it at that purely as a player all right moving on to prove it year I don't even have a player. I say Urban Meyer. And while this is a situation where I don't think that, you know, anybody is expecting the Jags to have a tremendous year, but if the if the Jags don't at least show significant improvement last year, just overall in their play, let's be honest, Trevor Lawrence isn't going to be the scapegoat. They're not going to look at Trevor Lawrence. They're not going to look at the players. They're going to look at Urban Meyer. And I could, I'll tell you, Urban Meyer is not going to last nearly as long as Trevor Lawrence is with that organization. So if Urban Meyer is not able to make some solid moves and to really make this team a competitive one, or at least one that looks better than it did a year ago, he's going to be gone much sooner than people think. All right, since you went that route, I'm going to take the player route. And for me, this proven year, I'm going to say quarterback Carson Wentz. Because he came off a really bad season last year with the Eagles. Probably a season that was more, um, putting more notoriety behind simply because he played in Philadelphia and those fans are very unforgiving. And also, he's coming back from a, yet another injury. Like, it's been one of the big tales of Carson Wentz. Like, when he's healthy, he's been a decent, he's been a good to decent players. At one point, he was an MVP level talent. But he always gets hurt. And I think folks, like, they have the overall structure of a team to where it's like, if you just can get a solid quarterback in the they are a Super Bowl candidate. So can Carson win, stay healthy, and is he able, is he going to be able to find that magic that he had a couple seasons ago with the Philadelphia Eagles? Yeah, Carson was definitely a close second for me just because you can make an argument he has the most approved out of any quarterback in the league this year. All right, breakout year. Who are you expecting to break out this season? I am expecting cornerback Christian Fulton of the Tennessee Titans, one of your Bayou Bengals, to have a breakout season. Uh, as you know, as a Titans fan, I've been really close to what's been going on in training camp. And they said that he's look, he looks like a completely different player than he was his first 
I'm actually in agreement with you. I also have Christian Fulton. Um, like pretty much for everything you said, he's had a really good offseason, definitely building on what he did as a rookie. And then not to mention, it's going to be even more opportunities this year with so much roster turnover, especially on the defensive side of the ball. So we should be seeing a lot of Christian Fulton this year. And hopefully he can continue the tradition of LSU being DBU. Um, in terms of the rookie I am watching, I'm keeping it in Tennessee, and I'm going to say Kayla Farley. Um, out of this past year's um, NFL draft, he was my favorite cornerback, and I really feel that had it not been for the back injury, he would have gone much higher than 22nd overall, which I believe where he went. But overall, I just think that Kayla Farley has tremendous ball skills. He's great in coverage. Really, everything you want out of a corner, he can do that and then some. And with just his overall ability and knack to create those plays, that's what's going to make him a superstar. And honestly, a ball-hawking corner is something that the Tennessee Titans have not had for several years. And if you're on a defense and you can create turnovers, you're immediately going to get a lot of pop and you're going to be a lot better. And I think Kayla Farley can really give that to the Titans. So I'm gonna go with a way more obvious choice. I'm gonna say Trevor Lawrence simply because he's coming to the NFL with, I guess, some of the biggest hype that any that has had in what Andrew Luck. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. And you know, I think he, I think he's actually gonna live up to the hype to an extent. I do think he's gonna have some rough, some rough sledding simply because. His O line is atrocious, as you saw in that game against the Saints. Mm-hmm. They couldn't block. They couldn't block a code. So I don't know how they're going to expect him to stay up for the remainder of the season. But I think he's going to find like they're going to figure it out and find a way for him to put up numbers. So I got to keep my eye on Sunshine. All right, bold prediction for the AFC South. For me, my bold prediction is this. Tennessee Titans will be a top 15 defense throughout this season. And the reason I say this is because they have some good pieces on defense. I think Jeffrey Simmons is going to have take another step up as being a dominant defensive tackle. I think Bud Dupree is going to be a guy that might eclipse at, at a minimum 10 sacks. I'll say not a minimum. I'll say he will have anywhere between 9 to 10 sacks for the season. Harold Landry will probably have somewhere between seven, six to seven, and we'll have better quarter, cornerback play because Christian Fulton is going to step up. I think Caleb Farley is going to have a good year, and Jack, Jack Rabbit Jenkins is just a solid overall corner, and people forget that Kevin Bayard at one point was one of the better safeties in the NFL, and I think he's going to have a resurgent year. And also, like I stated earlier, it helps drastically that they actually have a defensive coordinator because last season they didn't have a defensive coordinator. They were trying to let Mike Berry run the whole entire defense, and that's just difficult to do as a head coach. I'm going also on the defensive side of the ball, but I'm going to say the Indianapolis Colts, and my bold prediction is the Colts fail to have a top 15 defense this season. While they still have some very solid pieces on that squad, such as, of course, Darius Leonard, who was one of the best, if not the best, linebackers in the game before it's Buckner holding it down up front, I think that their defense is going to suffer a bit. I think that their secondary, while it it, it does its job, it's not a tremendous group. Um, I like Xavier Rhodes a lot. He kind of re 
reintroduce himself to the league, but I do think that there are going to be opportunities to exploit that secondary, which is going to hurt a bit. I think their pass rush is also going to hurt a bit. I'm not saying Justin Houston was, like, the greatest guy for them last year, but I want to say he might have led them in sacks or he was at least very close to the top. Replacing him with a guy like Kawhi Pay could pay off in the future, but I just don't think that their pass rush is really going to be able to really sustain it, not to mention losing guys like Nico Autry, going to your individual rival, the Tennessee Titans, another guy who may not be the biggest name, but he really played a big role in them stopping the run. So overall, I just think that the Colts' defense is going to take some steps back this year. They're not going to be – the daunting force that they were a season ago. But all right, division winner, I got Titans. I know you're going to say Titans too, but you know. All right, let's move on to the NFC South, kicking it off with the most underrated team. Who you got? For me, I'm going to go with another wild card. I'm actually going to say the Saints. And the reason I'm saying this is because I think that so much emphasis that's been put on their offense and what they don't have this whole dramatic cycle with Michael Thomas, what a lot of people forget. The Saints, for the past, I would say three to four years, the Saints have always had a really stout defense, and I think they're coming into this season with another stout defense. Yes, I think offensively a lot of things are going to change simply because you don't have Drew Brees under center. You don't have a stable of wide receivers that you used to having. You still have Alan Kamara, and he can win games for you by himself, i.e. the Minnesota game when he scores six touchdowns. But I think that that defense, and you add in some of the offensive pieces that they do have, I definitely have them was the most underrated. You mentioned that Christmas game. I would just like to say that was really disrespectful. They, the Vikings, they got a family. He didn't have to do them that bad. Nah, you did get your money, bro. I mean, look, it's Christmas. You you could have spared them a little bit. But, yeah, that, that was a great game. Um, I'm going to go the Panthers. I think that they are really building up a team that could be really good in the future. Of course, that's dependent on their quarterback. Um, defensively, I really like Jeremy Chen. I think Jeremy Chen was a great addition uh, for them last year. was one of the best rookie defensive players it very, had a strong argument for defensive rookie of the year, not to mention some offseason additions that they made, such as signing Hassan Reddick, who was coming off of a career year, really wanting to prove that he can be one of the most versatile edge rushers in the league. Also kind of talking about the back end, you got guys like Dante Jackson. Like, yeah, he really made some good moves on the defensive side of the ball. And offensively, I mean, we know they're going to be potent because they have just so many weapons. Like I said, it really just is dependent on their quarterback. And I think that everyone is kind of seeing Sam Donald and looking at them with, you know, the hazard signs. But truthfully, the Panthers have a really nicely put together roster that could become really dangerous in the next few years. But moving on to my most overrated team, it's not even that I fully think they're overrated. I just think people don't recognize how bad of a situation the Falcons are in. Like, I know this is really probably going to be a rebuilding year, but you just got to look at it like their defense is still very bad. If anything, they've lost more pieces than they've actually gained. Keanu Neal was a great safety for them when he was on the field, and right now he's no longer there. You have Deion Jones, but don't really have much help around him. It same goes for Grady Jarrett on the defensive line. So their defense is going to get picked apart on a pretty regular basis. And while in the past you could just say, oh, well, we got Julio. Oh, well, we can run the ball. 
you, two of those things you don't have anymore. And while Mike Davis could still be a serviceable back for you, I think that the offense is no going to be nowhere near as potent as it used to be. And this could be a year where the Falcons wind up with one of the worst records in the league. For me, I'm going to be completely honest. I am going to say the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And the reason I'm saying this is because I think they are an amazing team. I understand that they're the Super Bowl champs. But I feel like so many people are riding high off of the whole. They're coming off the Super Bowl. And it's been proven historically that whatever team wins the Super Bowl that next year, they aren't to the same they aren't the same caliber team that they were the year before they won the Super Bowl. I also think that a lot of teams in the NFC have gotten better to where they um that just lock up potential lock up that everybody assumes that they have on the spot in the Super Bowl is a little bit more under uh, under the risk. Like I think Seattle they're a team that could vie for a spot. The Packers, they could be a team that vies for a spot. It's a lot of different teams that could potentially make a run at the Super Bowl at the expense of the books. And also, we still are, we still don't know at one point when is Tom Brady going to fall off the cliff. Like, I don't want to say, I'm not about to go after and say, like, I think this is the year, but we don't know. Like, we can legitimately go, like, this season starts and Tom Brady is the quarterback that we once saw before. So I got to say the Bucs, and I mean, a lot of it too was also like, what are some of these players, returning players going to look like? Like, what is Indominus Kinsu going to look like? Like, he was dominant in the Super Bowl, but he wasn't really dominant all season. So I got to go Bucs. Which is a very fair assessment. Um, favorite player in the division? Greg Again, another D-line and he's amazing. In my opinion, he's definitely a top five defensive lineman. Yeah, he deserves his flowers because let's be honest, the Falcons aren't getting many this year. For me, keeping on the defensive side of the ball, you know I had to go with an LSU Tiger. Devin White. I love me some Devin White. I have loved Devin White since his days at LSU. And he's just he's just making the purple and gold look real good. Like, you can't tell me a defensive player last year who had a better overall playoff performance than Devin White. You can't tell me anybody defensively who boosted their stock more than Devin White did in the playoffs because that Saints game, he was all over. The Super Bowl, he was all over. The Red, I mean, Washington's game. The, like, anytime you needed Devin White to make a play, that man made a play, which is just a testament to what he did at LSU and what I know he's going to continue to do during his time in the league. And I'm not going to lie, I'm really close to getting a jersey. Not a Bucks one. I'm going to get me an LSU one. But love me some Devin White. All right, moving on to the prove-it year. I didn't say a quarterback last time, but I'm definitely going to say one this time, and that's Sam Darnold. Like I mentioned earlier uh, when I was calling, you know, the Panthers the most underrated team in the division, a lot of people see Sam Darnold and get scared. They expect failure because that's what his career has been. And if he has another bad year with Carolina, especially with the weapons around him, such as the receiving core and having Christian McCaffrey back healthy, 
there is going to be no excuse. Sam Donald is going to be seen as the problem rather than him just being in a bad situation. And so while he's young, this is only his fourth season, people are going to be looking at him, especially in comparison to other cats like Lamar Jackson and Josh Allen, who have had so much success since stepping into the league and wondering, what is your problem? Why aren't you working? So, yeah, I'm going Sam Donald. I'm actually going to agree with breaks out of the NFC South? Who do I think is going to break out? I got one if you want to think about it. I'll let you go. I'm going to say Marcus Callaway, wide receiver for the New Orleans Saints. Jameis was throwing dimes in that preseason game, and who was most of them going to? Mr. Callaway. I think that he showed some flashes last season when Michael Thomas was out, and I think that right now, looking at that receiving core, he kind of has to be seen as that wide receiver one. And if he can continue to uh, build chemistry with Jameis and really build that connection, this could prove to be a very good year for him, especially because he's a relative unknown. He's not a guy that was heavily scouted or really thought about as a draftable uh, candidate, hence why he went undrafted. But now he has an opportunity to really have a lot of success for the Saints, and I think that that is precisely what's going to happen, especially with so much uncertainty with Michael Thomas. So for me, I'm going to go with the guy by the name. He's not really – it's hard to say he's going to have a breakout year because he's already been amazing, but I think he's also going to step up even more given the circumstance. I have to go with wide receiver Calvin Ridley. Julio Jones is gone. Yes, they have Kyle Pitts, but who – who is Matt Ryan going to look at on the outside? He's going to look at Kyle on Calvin Ridley. Every game is Julio Jones is out for injury. If I'm not mistaken, Calvin Ridley had 100 plus yards. So I think he's going to fully step into the wide receiver one row and he's going to put a lot of people on notice. Most definitely. All right. Um, moving on to our rookie to watch. What rookie are you watching? Paulson Adebo, third-round pick um, for the New Orleans Saints cornerback. Big reason I'm going with Paulson is because we know that Marshawn Lattimore is the number one, but looking at the rest of their cornerback group, it's not much that you get excited about. 
You know, we talk about their front seven who was able to produce. They have a really good group of safeties, but their cornerbacks are clearly the biggest issue. And because they didn't have the cap space to make a really big move or commit a first-round pick or second-round pick to the position, I think that that just shows that they believe that Paulson Adebo can really be one of those guys that steps up. And I think that he can do that. I mean, when healthy um, at Stanford, he was the, easily their best cornerback, could have gone higher had he not gotten hurt last year. And I think he's a guy who has a lot of potential. And I think that for a defense like the Saints, who really are going to have to carry the load a bit, um, especially as Jameis really gets accustomed to that starting spot. They're going to need everyone to step up, and I think that Paulson Adebo is going to be one of those cats who does that. But, all right, my bold prediction is I'm going to show some love to the Panthers. I'm going to say that the Panthers wide receiver trio of Robbie Anderson, DJ Moore, and Terrace Marshall have more receiving yards than the Bucks trio of Chris Godwin, Mike Evans, and Antonio Brown. Statistically, Jameis Winston will probably might be the best quarterback in the conference this upcoming season. I could see it. The biggest question is, can he get those interceptions down? If he does that, Jameis is in the money. Uh, I got Bucks winning the division. How about you? Yeah, I got Bucks. All right. So before we play our game of believable or buffoonery, what preseason game of the final week three are you watching? For me, I'm watching the Patriots versus Giants pretty heavily. Um, and that's taking place. What day is that? Is that tomorrow? Yep, that is taking place tomorrow. A big reason why I'm so heavily invested in that game is I mentioned it earlier. I think that this is the perfect opportunity for Mac Jones to show why he should become the starting quarterback of the New England Patriots, and if he can play well against most of the starters uh, for the New York Giants, who are a very reputable defensive group, I think that that's just going to seal the deal for him. Oh, uh, for me, I'm going to be supremely invested in the Bears and Titans. Not because it's like my two favorite teams in the NFL. That does have a lot to do with it, but because I know that Justin Fields will be starting this game and taking out of the reps with the ones, and I want to see what he's going to look like against the defense that has their ones on the field, because I believe that the Titans are going to be playing most of their ones throughout this preseason game just to get them tuned up and ready. So it's going to look like he he's primarily been dominant against you know second string and third string players, but what is he really going to look like against a starting caliber NFL defense? I feel you on that. All right, let's play a game of believable or buffoonery, starting with the Green Bay Packers, who made a new hire um, at defensive coordinator, and Joe Barry, who spent his last season with the Rams, played a significant role in that. Cornerback Kevin King is excited about it and said, I can definitely see why the Rams were the number one defense last year. We're going to take that spot. Believable or buffoonery, the Packers will have the number one defense in the league I'm calling hot buffoonery. They're not even going to have the best defense in that division. Yeah, this big buffoonery. Um, not only do you have to worry about the Rams, you have the Washington football team, you have the Bears, you have the Steelers, you have the Ravens. Um, I literally could probably name off maybe 10 teams before I even could get anywhere close to the Packers. I don't see that happening uh, whatsoever. Yeah, 
Not at all. All right, talking about bad things, let's talk about the Houston Texans, who apparently may not be as bad as we think. Um, Spencer Tillman talked about general manager Nick Casario's offseason, his first offseason with the team, and said, I don't think I've seen a better job by a GM in the last decade or more. Believable or buffoonery, the Houston Texans have had a good offseason. Buffoonery? Like, what have they done? They signed, they signed Mark Ingram. That's an okay move. Um, other than, and I don't even know any other notable moves that they made this offseason. They, okay, they traded uh, Bernard McKinney for Shaq Lawson. Can't say I would have did that, but whatever. Uh, they signed Mark Ingram. They signed Philip Lindsay. They, tr- uh, oh my gosh, I just had it. The draft wasn't that great. They got Tyrod Taylor. I don't know what about this is good. So it's like, <laughs> signing to older running backs, you get a guy that's a backup quarterback, a good backup quarterback at best. Oh, he said Philip Lindsay. Nah, yeah, like, nothing's great about that. Yeah, nothing, nothing literally to write home about. All right, moving on to uh, the Chicago Bears. Last week in their preseason game, they had a reunion with Mitch Trubisky, who lit their defense up quite a bit. And, of course, people got a bit too excited about it. Um, Will Brinson of Pick, the Six, Pick 6 Podcast said, The Bears would have been ed- better off retaining the services of Mitch Trubisky than going with Andy Dalton. Believable or buffoonery, the Chicago Bears have should have kept Mitch Trubisky. Mitch Trubisky played well, but we're just not going to act like the last few years did not happen. Especially if he stayed in Chicago, he would always be compared to the other quarterbacks of that 2017 class like Deshaun Watson and Patrick Mahomes and be reminded that he was drafted before both of those cats, significantly higher than both of those cats. So in Chicago, it's always that comparison. Bears fans would still hate him. And if they even if they drafted Justin Fields, which I'm sure they still would have done, people would still be wanting him to be bitched. 
So I'm calling buffoonery. I don't think that one good preseason performance negates all the bad history that was there. All right, but continuing to talk of quarterbacks, following the announcement that Teddy Bridgewater will be the starting quarterback for the Denver Broncos, Vic Fangio, Broncos head coach, said this of um, Drew Locke. I don't have any doubt that Drew is going to be a quality starting quarterback in this league. I'm sure he meant to say just not in Denver. But believable or buffoonery, do you think that Vic Fangio still sees Drew Locke as a quality starting quarterback? I think it's some belief behind it, simply because Drew Locke is a guy that he's so young in his career and he's shown flashes very similar to what we just said about Sam Darnold. Like, I think Drew Locke is a guy that he probably needs a fresh start also, like you just mentioned with Mr. Biscuit. So if he were to go to another team, I, and I wouldn't be surprised if he won out or started the job and actually was a decent quarterback. All right, continuing on the trend of quarterback, Josh Rosen, another guy who gets a lot of comparisons. Um, as we all infamously remember, after being drafted by the Cardinals with the 10th overall pick, he said there were nine mistakes made ahead of him. Well, he is also moving to his fourth NFL team in that time. After being waived by the 49ers, he was just signed by the uh, Atlanta Falcons. Believable or buffoonery? Who knows? Josh Rosen, Josh Rosen has a chance to be the Falcons' quarterback of the future. Nah, that's before. Um, I think that the Falcons are in this mode of like better potentially going to draft the quarterback of the future, and it is not Josh Rosen. He's a guy I can see him being a backup, but I don't see him being like a franchise quarterback. Yeah, I'm calling buffoonery on that, too. I think that this preseason showed that they desperately needed somebody behind Matt Ryan because, God forbid, Matt Ryan goes out, it's going to be real tough sledding for them. But I don't see Josh Rosen necessarily being that guy to make it happen. All right, so last piece um, with regarding, well, rescind what I just said. Talking to Tony Romo, and he talked about this um, this year's quarterback class specifically on Jets rookie quarterback Zach Wilson and said, you guys don't quite know how good this kid is. I think Zach Wilson is rare. I think he is a young Dan Marino. Believable or buffoonery, we look back on this draft and we see that Zach Wilson is going to be the savior of the New York Jets. I'm going to buy some stock in this statement. Simply because I watched that preseason game that he played against the Packers, and he he looked like their offense looked the best it is I've seen it look in a long time. He was making reads, he was making tough throws, he was making throws on the run, he was doing things that I haven't seen a Jets quarterback do. Honestly, my personal probably like my lifetime of watching football, I've never seen him do. I can definitely see him becoming if front office gets to their act right and they build a good team around him. I can see him being a savior of the Jets. Yeah, I agree with you. I do think that if they, like you said, the front office can put pieces around him to be successful, I could really see him being their best quarterback that they've had in some time. I mean, realistically, their best quarterback, of course, people are going to say, um, Oh my gosh. Uh, oh my gosh. One Super Bowl, uh, three. I'm going to remember his name when we're not recording. John Namus. 
Yes, thank you. Joe Namath, of course, that's going to be like the consensus answer. But realistically, their best quarter, they haven't had a suitable quarterback since Chad Pennington. And even Chad Pennington wasn't that great. So I think that Zach Wilson really could be the next great one. But all right, continuing the talk of rookie quarterback, Dan Orlovsky of Get Up on ESPN said this, we need to remove ourselves from the archaic thought process that quarterbacks need to come in, sit, and learn. This isn't 2005 anymore. These guys should be playing Justin Fields being the leader of that. Now here's just a quick list of quarterbacks who have sat out and quarterbacks who started day one. Uh, some of them being Patrick Mahomes, Lamar Jackson, Baker Mayfield, Jared Goff, Tua, Jalen Hurts, Daniel Jones, Dwayne Haskins, Drew Locke, Josh Rock, Rosen, Mitch Trubisky, Paxton Lynch. Those are the guys who have had a bit of a bridge period. Moving on to quarterbacks who started day one, Dak Prescott, but technically that only happened because Tony Romo got hurt, but that's either here nor there. Uh, Kyler Murray, Joe Burrow, Carson Wentz, Jameis Winston, Marcus Mariota, Sam Donald, Deshaun Kaiser. So, believable or buffoonery, the days of rookie quarterbacks sitting back and waiting to start are played out. Yeah, I mean, it's not necessarily that I think it's a good idea to throw these guys out there. regards to this it's really just a case by case situation not every team situation is the same like in the case of like Trevor Lawrence I think that he should definitely start week one in the case of Justin Fields I think that he would probably be better off waiting and I saw a post on Instagram actually that was like the real reason why uh Justin Fields isn't starting week one it was a picture of Aaron Donald I don't want to send my rookie quarterback against Aaron Donald and so, especially in a city like Chicago that's so passionate, like, you kind of want to ease him into it. Trey Lance is another guy who I could see the argument for getting him to start, but you also have Jimmy G who isn't, like, Jim. no one is saying that Jimmy G is, like, the man, but Jimmy G is solid enough to where you won't necessarily be terrible with him under center. So I really just think it's a case-by-case situation. Like you mentioned, like, some teams, they don't have good enough players in front 
of their rookies for them to get the chance to sit back and wait. And so that also speeds up their process a bit. But realistically, I just think it's a case-by-case situation. But let's go ahead and move on to the NBA. And we're going to talk about a player who genuinely I never really think about ever, and that's Eric Bledsoe. But according to your main man, C.J. McCollum, we need to put some respect on his name. McCollum said this, I'm a big fan of Eric Bledsoe. He's like many LeBrons, super athletic, explosive, can lead a team, can run a team. Well, he'll get his chance with the Clippers getting a fresh start. Is this going to be the best year of Eric Bledsoe's career? benefit from being around star caliber players such as Kawhi Leonard and Paul George and get opportunities to really make plays but yeah like I think that ship is kind of sailed for Eric Bledsoe in the sense of him really just coming to a team and being that guy especially on a team that already has their guy and then they had already know they have their backup guy Eric Bledsoe is really just going to be one of those cats who will do it all you got to come in and just, and just do your job just come in, don't make mistakes, help us play well, and then that's it. And so, and because of that, it's very rare that players really like rise up from that sort of position and then being surrounded around talent. That's like Ron Artest becoming the best players of the Lakers when Kobe and Pau Gasol were there. Like it's just it's just not meant to happen. It, it doesn't work like that. And so I think it's gonna be kind of something similar to um, with Eric Bledsoe where he'll be a solid contributor but I don't think he becomes that star. But all right, let's go ahead and talk some trade news slash rumors, starting with an actual trade that took place. Um, the Cleveland Cavaliers will be acquiring Chicago restricted free agent forward Lori Markkinen on a four-year $67 million deal um, via a sign-and-trade. Here are the other moving parts. Um, Bulls will get uh, Portland forward Derek Jones Jr., and Portland's 2022 lottery projected first, and the Cavs' 23rd, 2023 uh, second-round pick go to Denver, while the Trailblazers get forward Larry Nance Jr. What are your thoughts on this trade? How do the Cavs look to you right now? Just kind of break it down for me. Um, I think it was a me personally, I think it was just a kind of like, no team in particular has really got better from this trade. Like, Laurie Markham, he showed flashes that he could be a really productive player. But that was early on in his career, like his rookie season and a little bit of his second year in the, in the NBA. Um, maybe he could be in a situation where he's in the change of scenery. He could potentially show those flashes again. 
Maybe parent them up with, you know, God or Darius Garland and Carlin Sexton. They could bring some added, like, motivation because he really was on the team where it was like, it was just Zach Levine. And Zach Levine is a guy that kind of was more like, I'm just going to get my buddies and going about my business. Um, As far as the Larry Nance to the Bulls, I think, yeah, so Bulls. Oh, uh, Larry Nance could went to the Blazers. Yeah, that's right. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. I think as far as Larry Nance going to the Blazers, I think that's a pretty decent move for the Blazers simply because we both know how their um, front court situation always seems to turn out to around this time, around the whole season. Like, Zach Collins would always get hurt. Yusuf Nakers would always get hurt. And then they would be in a situation to where it's like, they would have to play their backup big, and their backup big might, might not be the best serviceable backup big. I think Larry Nance Jr. is a guy that could be a good serviceable backup for them, and I like the move for Portland. Um, who did the Bulls get? I think the Bulls just got picks. And, I mean, it's good for them also because it's like they can make moves to build for their future because it's like – you know, they have Zach Levine, they have Lonzo, yes, they have DeMar DeRozan for what, I think the next three years, but you're banking on Lonzo and Zach Levine still being a part of the future of that franchise. Yeah. Fair enough. Yeah, I'm in agreement with you. I don't think anyone got um, totally better. I mean, more, let's be honest, if Lori Markman is the biggest piece of a trade, needless to say, not much is really getting done. Not to say Lori Markman isn't a good player, but I'll say this, I don't see the Cavaliers roster and then you add Laurie Markkinen and all of a sudden I don't see them significantly better than where they were last year. But I do think that, like you said, Larry Nance provides a nice you know, defensive element off the bench for the Blazers. Um, even though he's well more known for his dunks and everything, he does play pretty well on defense. And I think that that's something that you both, you, we both know that the Trailblazers desperately need to get better in that front. So overall, I mean, it's a solid trade, and I guess the market for Laurie Marketing really wasn't what they would have expected, or Laurie Marketing probably would have just got signed elsewhere. But all right, speaking of those rumors I mentioned, we got to head to Brooklyn, and admittedly, we're going to talk about Brooklyn quite a bit during this segment. And it seems that the Nets are looking to move on from DeAndre Jordan ahead of the start of training camp. So if DeAndre is traded, what team do you think should pull the trigger? Um, if DeAndre is traded, what team do I think should pull the trigger? It's weird because he's leaving the team and I think he's beyond because Brooklyn needs help and center. Um, I know the rumor is he's going to he might end up in LA with Bron and Russ, so I probably would just say that simply because that's the hottest rumor that's been going around. If he goes there, then that would just mean that I would I prefer him starting over Dwight Howard. Yeah, but it's not that big of a difference between the two. It's not like either of them are going to be seen as, like, a top four offensive option. So it's not – I could see the Lakers potentially working out. The problem is DeAndre's game is so outdated for what the NBA is now to where it's, like, it's difficult really to find a fit for him. 
Um, so yeah, probably I probably agree with you on the Lakers. Uh, moving on to a younger player, let's talk Cam Reddish, who made a big name for himself during the playoffs, particularly in the Eastern Conference Finals. Made some big plays, but that does not mean that the Hawks have not been potentially trying to trade him. In fact, his name has been thrown around quite a bit, including um, some teams like the Cavaliers potentially being on the lookout for him. If Cam Reddish is traded, what team do you think should pull the trigger? Um, I would say the Dallas Mavericks. And the reason I'm saying this is because Cam Reddish's game is he was a great shooter. And I'm not going to say a great shooter, but he is known as being a really good shooter. And when you're with the Mavericks, the more guys that you can have, around Luka that can knock down shots. And Cam Reddish also can be a a plus level defender. He can be a guy that you can throw on the say LeBrons of the world, KDs of the world. He might not, he's definitely not going to stop them, but he can be an extra body and use that to, you know, preserve Luka. You also can, I think you can just be a great piece there to grow. I would say the Milwaukee Bucks, similar to what you said about, you know, surrounding Luka round shooters, I say the same thing for Giannis. We know Giannis's game is pretty much relegated to the post, and I guess now the free throw line, if he can continue to build on that. But other than that, he's not really a mid-range guy. We know he's not going to be shooting threes. And right now, their roster could use more guys who are shooters especially coming off the bench. And I think that Cam Reddish could really be that guy. He could be a leader for that second unit. And I think that he could really become a guy who, hell, even could be in contention for sixth man of the year if you were on a team like the Bucks. So that's where I would go. Right, talking about another guy, Ben Simmons, who many of us thought he would have been traded by now. And right now, he is still listed on the Philadelphia 76ers roster. Uh, Ben Simmons' trade talks have stalled for the time being, and the Sixers are prepared to have him on the roster at the start of the season and try to trade him later on. What's going on with Ben Simmons? Do you think he's going to end up getting traded before the season starts, or will he begin the year as a 76er? I think think itself a bit but more importantly I think that it is like quite a few points of contention between Ben Simmons and like the front office I mean not many players who especially guys like Ben Simmons who like you mentioned is a really good defensive player and seen as like a couple years ago it was arguments that he was their best player they're not gonna be too happy about hearing their name being thrown around in every trade conversation And so, of course, it's going to be kind of awkward with him returning to the team. So he may be there for some practices, but I do think that the 76ers are going to bite the bullet, 
get a little less trade value than they anticipated getting for Ben Simmons, but I do think that in the end he ends up getting traded before the start of the season. Another player whose name has been bounced around a lot in trade rumors is Damian Lillard, who took to Instagram Live answering questions about his future. And, of course, everybody wanted to know, will he be leaving Portland? His response was, I'm not leaving right now at least. So let's say Dame does stay with the Trailblazers for at least this season. What now? What do you do for if you're a team who was kind of banking on getting him like the 76ers? And especially, and even more so, kind of just appealing to Dame because if a player wants to stay where they are, they're not going to be like, I'm here for right now at least. Like, they're going to be like, no, I'm here. Like, at this point, seeing how hard Bradley Beal bangs on the table to stay in Washington, that is the energy I expect from any player who says they want to stay where they are. And Dame does not have that energy. He had it a year ago, but time goes on. The roster isn't, you know, really evolving or getting better and he's kind of just up in the air about it and I feel like of course quote-unquote it's tampering but I'm sure if a couple of his friends in the league hit him up and are really trying to like get him to drink the Kool-Aid I think he could definitely be persuaded to officially requesting a trade where to I have no clue but I do think that if a team really wanted Damian Lillard I don't think it's outside of the realm of possibility for you to get him I think that he's disgruntled enough to where if you talk him up a bit, he could really want to leave. And so, with that being said, yeah, no, I think that it could definitely still happen, and he could become first to wanting a trade. But all right, let's go ahead, play believable or buffoonery. I mentioned we're going to talk about the Nets a bit. Well, yes, here we are. Starting with James Harden. His birthday passed, but who cared? I mean, it was Kobe week. Not my favorite player in the league, but I do recognize that he is a good player. And apparently his trainer back in Houston believes the same thing and said that James Harden has been robbed of three MVP awards. Believable or buffoonery, James Harden should have four MVPs to his credit as opposed to just one. I think that while there have been great seasons of James Harden, besides the year he did win MVP, 
the other year was when Russ won it. Those were the only couple of times when I was like, okay, James should be in the conversation. Like, he's had good years, but just – I also look at MVP about, like, how you elevate your team. And truth be told, the Rockets were a very good team, but injuries always got in the way. The playoffs always went awry for them. And I think that with what we're seeing with the success of everybody else since leaving Houston – that James Harden played a big role in that. So do I think he should have three more MVPs? No. I think he earned the one that he got, but I don't think he should have too many more. All right, but James Harden has also done a bit of talking uh, right now about his current team, the Brooklyn Nets, who said, at full strength, nobody can beat us. I'm just going to leave it at that. Believable or buffoonery, the Brooklyn Nets are unbeatable when healthy. In terms of playoff, yeah, I think that they are almost unbeatable. But in, if we're just talking regular season, teams lose games they shouldn't lose all the time. So I call it buffoonery. But I'm actually happy you mentioned not really having a good big man. Well, they had a good big man um, prior to trading for um, James Harden and Jared Allen, who is still as – one would expect a little bit salty about the trade and said, I could have helped them get to the finals and hold the trophy above our heads. So he's like, not saying I would have been the number one piece, but I feel like I could have had a hand of getting them to the finals. Believable or buffoonery, had Jared Allen been on the Nets roster, they would have been NBA champions. Uh, do you still include Kyrie Irving and James Harden? But if he's on the roster, it's just Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. No. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, even I will say this: I think that he would have definitely given more production. Excuse me, as opposed to um, like Jeff Green or DeAndre Jordan. Like when it was just KD, would it be enough? To beat the Bucks, I don't think so. So I'm gonna just call buffoonery, but I do think he would still be a major upgrade over what they have at big now. All right, let's go ahead and move on. Continuing kind of talking about MVPs, we're gonna talk about my main man Russ, um, Mr. Triple Double himself. Uh, was talked about by former Mr. Triple Double Oscar Robinson, who discussed the disrespect it was that Russ was not even in the MVP conversation. He said he's got a triple double this year. 
no one even notices. I think that's totally unfair. I think he should have won MVP again. Believable or buffoonery, Russ should have at least been in the MVP conversation this season. No. And, like, him averaging another triple-double was amazing, but he was averaging a triple-double on a team that barely made the playoffs. Like, they legit had to win, like, 15 straight games to make the playoffs, and they were just, like, they got swept in the first round. And honestly, it was other players on other teams that had a greater impact than Russ did. So I have to say nothing. Yeah, I'm calling buffoonery on that, too. I love me some Russ, don't get me wrong. But average, it just... Getting triple doubles is an amazing accomplishment, and for anybody who really wants to like call Russ's stat pattern, I just want to see. Clearly, he's not because nobody else has been doing it at the magnitude that he's done it in the past fifty years, and so clearly he's doing something right. Does that mean he should be in the MVP conversation? No, because he's great at what he does. But in terms of just like if averaging a triple double is supposed to make you the best or, like, top three best players in the league, then he would be in every year. And realistically, that's not what all goes into the MVP conversation. So, no, he shouldn't. I disagree with him. All right, let's talk about ESPN. They have made some surprising moves this past week. Most notably, ESPN has taken Rachel Nichols off of all NBA programming and will cancel her weekday show, The Jump. The rest of her future is still necessarily in doubt. So, believable or buffoonery, NBA, I mean, ESPN is making a mistake by canceling the jump and essentially canceling Rachel Nichols. Uh, I don't know. It's hard for me to say because I never really, I wasn't a big Rachel Nichols fan of the game week. I thought it was cool that she was on the show. But I think they might have made a mistake as far as canceling the jump. I feel like they could have easily put somebody in her place and just removed her from their show. Yeah. I was one of the better shows as far as like NBA programming that they've had. So I do agree with that. But as far as canceling the Rachel Nichols all together, I disagree because you can always find you can always find talent, and they already have a lot of talent in there. Uh, with regards to canceling the jump, I think it was a mistake just because, like you mentioned, it is one of the better NBA shows. Because, I mean, let's be honest, there's so many shows that talk about football or talk about, like, everything, whereas the jump really focused on the NBA, which I think provided a lot of good insight. And, yeah, I agree. Like, you could have easily just, like, replaced her if you wanted to, like, get rid of her. You didn't have to cancel the show. Um, but moving on to canceling Rachel Nichols, I don't know. Like, don't get me wrong. Her comments about Maria Taylor were not right. And they were messed up. But unfortunately, like, I can kind of see where she's coming from from the lens of being a female sports reporter. Like, you got to take every opportunity that you can get. But she took it too far in, like, the diversity hire and stuff. Like, that's where she messed up. So I think that I think that they're still trying to, like, clean up a mess that a lot of people kind of already put behind them. And at this point, it's like, one thing I'll say about, you know, um, Rachel Nichols is that she had been there for a very long time. She built a lot of relationships with players and was able to get a lot out of them. Not saying that nobody else who comes in after can't do the same thing, but I think that just having a familiar face can help out a lot 
And so I don't know. I don't. I hope that she gets another job opportunity because I'd hate to see everything she worked for derailed because of that. But I don't know. It's a weird situation. But let's go ahead and move on about AI. We all talk about how great of a basketball player Allen Iverson was, but he was also a cold football player too. If you remember, he could have gone to almost any school had he decided to go the football route over basketball. He recently talked about that on the Club Shay Shay podcast and said, not being cocky, not being arrogant, I know I would have been a better player in football than basketball. Uh, he's believable or buffoonery. I, I believe it's believable. I think that him being a football player helps him greatly in his career as a basketball player. But I've seen footage of AI playing football. Dude was a beast. So I, I'm talking it. I'm only going to say buffoonery. Because AI is infamously noted for saying that he didn't like working out. <laughs> and if you play football, you are going to live in a gym. And I'm sure in the NFL, you would have definitely adjusted. But I think AI, I don't know. I think that the NBA lifestyle is a bit different than the NFL lifestyle. So I'm going to say buffoonery. But I do think that if he was able to like really get himself accustomed to working out like transitioning his body, then yeah, he could have been a really good football player. But AI, you said, you the fall. You the one who said you don't like lifting weights because they're too heavy. And you're going to lift a lot more weights playing in the NFL. So that's the only reason why I'm calling buffoonery. Um, and more news of this week. Uh, Mike Budenholzer, a head coach that you and I both agree was definitely on the hot, hot seat for the Bucks, got a three-year contract extension with the Bucks. So, believable or buffoonery, Mike Budenholzer has job security for the next three years, or will he, or he will get released before the contract is up? I think it's buffoonery that he has job security. I think, yes, he's won a title, but fans are Yeah, I'm calling buffoonery on that too, just because, let's be honest, was it his coaching that got them the ring? No, it was Giannis. And God forbid Giannis goes out and it's one of those situations where he act, Mike Budenholzer actually has to coach like Steve Kerr did when everybody got hurt a couple years ago. Mike Budenholzer is going to be gone. All right, so only a couple more pieces. Let's talk first overall pick, Kate Cunningham, who's asked about um, getting defended at the NBA level and said, I want to see Giannis Antetokounmpo, LeBron James, Anthony Davis, all those guys in person. I'm expecting the, be the best defender. I'm hoping Kawhi guards me. I want all of them to guard me. Believable or buffoonery, Kate Cunningham really wants the team's best defenders to guard him. before the season starts and then it actually happens not saying I don't think he can still put up like good numbers but it's a whole nother ball game having Kawhi actually defend you than just seeing him do it on TV but I, I think it's believable I think he really does want the best 
it's just gonna be a whole another thing when he actually gets the smoke. All right, last piece. We're talking some CP3, and he talked about his time in the finals and said, "Now that I got a taste of that, what that experience is like, I'm sort of addicted." Believable or buffoonery. Chris Paul will return to the NBA Finals as a member of the Phoenix Suns. I'm calling buffoonery. Buffoonery. Hate it for him though, but yeah, I don't think it's gonna happen. But all right, let's go ahead and move on to the WWE. All right, now time to talk some WWE. Um, originally, not gonna lie, I wasn't gonna say anything about SummerSlam because honestly. After seeing the way they did Bianca, it really pissed me off. And I actually stopped watching after that. I went back and watched um, the Raw Women's Championship triple threat. But other than that, I just really had no desire to look back at it. Um, Because, yeah, I was actually really upset. And so I could really go on and on about how messed up of a decision it was for them to do Bianca like that. But simply put... I'm just going to leave it at, I understand that WWE felt the need to make a splash, especially with CM Punk coming back or whatever, and Becky was going to come back at some point. I'm sure there needs to be a plan in place and Sasha couldn't go, blah, blah, blah. But this is a champion who you literally have had all over. If we're being honest, she is the most marketable women's champion we have had in some time, excluding Ronda Rousey. She has been everywhere. Bianca Belair's presence is why you're at different events like Rolling Rolling Loud, why you're at the ESPYs. So many different pieces. And you're telling me that not only do you have her lose the championship, which if she would have lost it to Sasha, it would have made sense. If she would have lost to Becky in a legitimate match, it would have made sense. But to have her lose in less than 30 freaking seconds like that, it's messed up. And it's really disrespectful. And it just shows that... WWE will do anything for a cheap pop and a quick buck. And I feel for Bianca because the sky is so much the limit. And let's be honest with Becky back on SmackDown. There's no way in hell anybody is going to be taking the championship off of her anytime soon. And I I hate it for Bianca just because, I mean, not just because I'm a fan of hers and I'm a really big Bianca Belair fan, but it's just like, it's it's messed up. And like I said, I could talk about this for a very long time and go on many, a long tangent. But simply put, the way they did Bianca was very disrespectful and it was messed up. And I understand, you know, nothing is guaranteed in wrestling and no on any given night anyone can lose. I got it, good. But the way that you have the most dominant women's champion you have had since freaking WrestleMania and you have her go out like that, it's fucked up. And I'm happy that because of work, I won't be able to watch SmackDown for a while. Um, Because honestly, because of it, like I don't even want to watch SmackDown, I'm so upset. And I hope that whenever I go to Columbus um, for Extreme Rules, that at the very least she gets a freaking fighting chance. Because this is some BS and it's, it's messed up. So I hope in the draft she, she and the Street Profits go to Raw or something because this, let's be honest, and as long as you're on SmackDown, the Women's Championship is going to be unlocked for a while. So it's fucked up. All right, but let's talk about good things. NXT TakeOver 36. What a card. Um, On the pre-show, Ridge Holland defeats 
Trey Baxter. I know his last name is Baxter. Sorry. Um, on the pre-show, pretty much a squash match. Nothing too surprising. Uh, Money Talks and Cameron Grimes walks out as in a, out of NXT TakeOver as the Million Dollar Champion. Raquel Gonzalez def- retains against Dakota Kai despite both women giving each other all that they can handle. And what seems impossible to conceive, Walter actually tapped out in a banger against Ilya Dragunov, giving the latter the UK title. Um, Adam Cole doles out a lot of punishment, but Kyle O'Reilly holds on to win the undisputed finale. Um, And the Samoan Destroyer is back on top after becoming the first superstar to become a three-time NXT champion. I went 5-0. and Car pretty much went how I expected it to. But, per usual, NXT was full of bangers. Um, my favorite match, it's tough because all of them are really good. I'm going to go Raquel Gonzalez and Dakota Kai. I think that, um, I don't know. Like, I, I was going to say that I think they had the best, like, build up to it. And, like, I, I I disagree with that because I think Karrion and Samoa Joe is the better build. But I think that in terms of, like, the relationship and, like, the the ferocity of Dakota Kai as a heel made me really invested in this match. Like, the promo when she was talking about I am not a sidekick. Like, just the emotion and, like, how she was determined to get out of that shadow that originally, like, she brought Raquel Gonzalez to be in her shadow just to help her. And just how it's really developed. I think that that also, like, made this... One of my favorite matches of the night, in addition to it just being a freaking banger. And both women are just incredibly talented. Raquel Gonzalez seems to get better every time she steps in the ring. And we know Dakota Kai is like, given the chance, she's going to be a freaking star. And I'm excited to see what she's able to do. My favorite moment was seeing Samoa's Joe as champion. Usually when I have my favorite moment, it's something like that happens within a match or something. But in this case, it was just a beautiful thing to see Samoa Joe back as champ. I mean... And we hadn't seen him wrestle in over a year. And if you listen to the podcast and, you know, like, I love me some Samoa Joe. I think Samoa Joe is freaking awesome. And then going from the him being a great wrestler to getting injured to being on commentary, so at least getting a piece. And then him getting released, which was like, holy crap, how do you release Samoa Joe? To him back on top is just, it's a beautiful thing. And I I know that NXT is supposed to be getting some sort of rebrand, whatever. Who cares? Long as Samoa Joe stays on top, I'm good with it. I can ride that wave. Um, increased stock, Ilya Dragunov. I mean, it's one thing to beat Walter, one of the most dominant champions in wrestling history. And it's a whole other thing to make him tap out in a great match. I don't think this match was as brutal as the first one. But, I mean, not to say that's a bad thing or anything. Because, honestly, I don't know if you know Ilya could have survived. They probably would have died. I mean, hell, after this match, he looked exhausted. So, it was just... It was a great match, of course, and now he's the new United Kingdom champion. So I'm excited to see how that goes for him as well as Walter. Um, Decreased stock, literally nobody. I mean, even the people who lost, L.A. Knight, Dakota Kai, Karrion uh, Cross, got to cheat. Hold on. Adam Cole, and um, I feel like I'm missing somebody. Yeah, whatever. You know what I mean. You know what I'm lost. I mean, like, I don't think any of them are, like, suffering because of it. All of it makes sense. Um, Karrion, he's obviously going to Raw. Um, Dakota Kai, I think that she's going to be moving up to Raw or SmackDown. Adam Cole, hell, he might be leaving the WWE entirely, which, um, if he is, it's been a hell of a ride. And I'm going to miss Adam Cole so much. Oh, I love Adam Cole. And then, I mean, yeah, LA Knight, he's still going to be a championship contender. I mean, he's got 
all the makings and Walter. I mean, Walter's probably going to go to the main roster too. So, I mean, like, nobody really suffered from it. So, I don't really think anybody's stock is gone. Speaking about something else I don't feel strongly about, I mean, in terms of, like, the booking decision, I don't have one of those either. Like, this was a great card. I think all the right people won. And, I mean, yeah, like, the if... My, I guess my only thing would be if Adam Cole ends up staying, I would have preferred him to win just because I'm a bigger Adam Cole fan. But, I mean, if he's gone, I mean, you kind of got to take one for the team and give one to the guy who's still going to be there, which is Kyle O'Reilly. So, like, nobody lost stock. And, honestly, nobody really – I don't think I would have changed anything. Um, my WTF moment comes from Adam Cole versus Kyle O'Reilly. There are many spots in wrestling that, like – I, I see it, and even though I know it's going to hurt like hell, I'm like, you go. But it is the two chairs with with the tops just put, touching each other that every time I see it, I'm like, are you kidding me? Was it worth it? Why are you doing this? Please don't do this. I mean, every time I see it, I just instantly think Adam Cole versus Aleister Black take over Philadelphia, question mark, whatever, in the... Not extreme rules, you know what you know what match it was. Um, and that spot, every time I see it, it like sends shivers down my spine, and it just hurts like hell. And it's just like this is one of those spots that like may not seem that bad, but I got scoliosis. I'm not taking that shit. There is no way you're gonna get me on that freaking chair to take that and to see <laughs> Kyle O'Reilly not only take it, but also take it like being practically thrown from the top turnbuckle is just a hard nah for me, boss. Definitely a WTF. And then uh, show grade, give it an A. I mean, this is pretty much, I don't want to say a perfect show, but I mean, it's per almost as perfect as you can get. A much better show than the last takeover. I didn't think In Your House was that great, which, you know, is wild because, you know, I love me some NXT takeover. But yeah, like, I think that, this is probably one of the best takeovers of the year. And, you know, with that being said, I'm really excited to see how they really build from this. Like I said, I know there's supposed to be a rebrand coming or something, but, like, it's shows like this that make NXT, in my opinion, the most, for me, my favorite of the three to watch in WWE just because everybody's just so hungry and everybody is just so intent on putting on a banger, putting their best foot forward, not being complacent, you know, getting that time in the ring and making the most of it. And you don't really see that as much on Raw and SmackDown from most of the guys because when they're on top, they know they're on top. They're solidified. Whereas NXT, I just feel like people are hungry. And tonight was definitely an example of that. And, yeah, it was a hell of a show. But thank you guys so much for listening to our show. Hopefully you thought it was a hell of a show too. Uh, please be sure to continue to support. Um, be sure to check out the xreport.net. I repeat, the xreport.net for exclusive sports content written by yours truly and fellow xreport writers. Previous episodes of our lovely podcast and our YouTube channel entitled The X Report. And um, to close this out, once again, thank you all so much for listening. And justice for Bianca Belair. Peace.